So, as I was leaving the house this morning, I got a call from Adam that he lost his speaker, and can I come and speak? And I said, you know, I'm in my schlumpy Saturday morning clothes, you know, the clothes that you sit at the end of the room and you're half asleep. And then I said, you know what? That's humility, right? That's a part of who I am. And I have one disclaimer. I talked to a fellow after a meeting a few weeks ago, and he said, you know, I listen to those speakers on the podcast, and every time I hear the speaker, they have the same story. So I want to tell you a disclaimer, you're going to hear the same story, (laughs) and that's recovery, because there was a time in my life where I could change my story based on who I spoke to. So the fact that you hear my same story is really a good sign. So I was born in Israel, don't be confused by my New York accent, (laughs) and I, I was born into a family where there was a lot of sadness, a lot of confusion, a lot of anxiety. And I learned at a very early age that food regulated that anxiety. And I think that until my teens, I'm grateful that I found that tool because other family members who didn't find that tool, other things happened to them. So food really did the work. It filled the hole, it regulated the anxiety, it took away the confusion, and it, made, it gave me the illusion that everything is okay. And I think it was around my teen years that I crossed the line from using food in a healthy way to abusing food in a way that hurt my body and my soul. And, you know, I came to the program, I was 29, and I'm turning 68 in a few months. So, I've been here for a long time, and I won't go over my whole story, because we will be here until the end of Labor Day. But, I'll just say that once I crossed that line, I got into this pattern of, I was never a yo-yo dieter, so it wasn't gaining and losing, it was more binging to the point of feeling sick and then recovering. And because I felt so sick and I needed the time to recover, I never, you know, at that point gained, you know, 100 pounds, but I, I gained weight. Oh, I'll, I'll pass on pictures. So the picture, the first picture is when I came into the program, normal body weight, but feeling obese and crazy. And then in the program, and I really, I'm glad there are no newcomers here because that's a scary part. I know, but people are listening. We listen. Anyway, I'm one of those that gained and lost 80 pounds in OA. I didn't come into the program obese, but it happened to me in the program. So I came into the program in Israel, and I, it was two years before we immigrated to this country, and I... I really loved the program, but it's not that I loved OA, because what I loved had nothing to do with the program. We didn't work the steps, we didn't read the big book, we just got together a group of people who understood each other, and I felt like I belonged to that group, I felt cared for, I felt accepted, and I felt understood. And and I, I didn't gain or lose weight, but I continued this pattern of binging and then recovering with a person who I met in program and became my best friend and even now when I visit Israel she's the first person I call and 
she's in recovery and I'm in recovery, but we used to binge together and then recover together and binge together while we are in program. So that was then. And then I came here. I was at the time married. I had a little child and I gained a lot of weight at that point and I found how. And for those who don't know what how is, it's a way of working the program that works for many people and that's good for them. What happened for me is that I became, I got into this again cycle of being very restrictive and losing a lot of weight and then feeling like I'm on top of the world and then one little thing happened and I would leave how and gain 80 pounds and I did it four times. And I remember I had a sponsor, I chose the most strict sponsor in how, and I went to a wedding. And in the wedding, I, I, when they passed on all the hors d'oeuvres, I had a lot of vegetables that I didn't dip. I just had the vegetables, but it wasn't part of my meal. And I called him the next day and I said what I did. And he said, we are starting from day one. And I said, what? And he said, yes, because the same head that gave you permission to eat a celery stick can give you permission to go out and whatever. Didn't work for me. And I, when, they, when he said that, I was very thin. I was size six or eight. You've seen the picture. And I, I went out and I gained 75 pounds. And I was very, very thin there. Also, my marriage was terrible. And my husband told me when I was size six or eight, you, you see, I, I look anorexic. And he said to me, if you lose 10 more pounds, you look really good. And I would say now two things that I would say at the beginning and then get over. Then I found out he's gay. And that, you know, he wanted me to look like a gay boy. And then 10 years later, I discovered that I'm gay. So I always say that line for those who listen, that this is not part of the recovery package. It's just my story. However, so I gained all this weight after how, and I was miserable and sad and, and very demoralized and depressed. And I went to meetings and I had so many great sponsors and I drove to, if you told me that there is a great inspiring speaker speaking in San Diego, I would drive there. And then on the way home, I would binge to celebrate their recovery. So it's like, I, nothing worked, nothing worked because of two things. Number one, I wasn't willing to sit through discomfort. I wasn't willing to do what that speaker said they did, which helped them stay abstinent. I wanted them to inspire me. I wanted the magic to happen. I wanted to hear something wonderful and then never want to eat again. So that was one problem. And the second problem is that the key to the success in the 12-step programs is a spiritual path. And I resisted it with all my heart. My mother lost her entire family in the Holocaust. You know, tw siblings, brothers, sisters, nephews, nieces, everyone perished. She was the only survivor. And I grew up knowing that there is no God, because if there was God, how could those things happen? So whenever people in program, even those great speakers that I drove far away to hear them, when they mentioned the word God, the word God I shut down. 
don't talk to me about God. And this program doesn't work. There are many other great weight loss programs that you don't need God. But here, this is the foundation and I resisted it. So it's my inability to sit through discomfort and tolerate pain was number one. And number two, my resistance to God. And then I read a book that I won't mention because it's an outside thing, but it's about a spiritual leader that lost his son who was very, very sick. And he says in the book that this challenged his religious belief because his little baby was sick and died. And then he said that his only way to come to terms with what happened is to believe that when bad things happen to good people, God cries. And that shifted everything for me. God didn't do the Holocaust. God doesn't make my best friend dying from cancer. God God didn't do that thing. God cries when those things happen. The only thing... So that opened the door for me to entertain the thought that I can figure out a God that will work for me. And my definition of God, for me, it's the little part in my heart that knows better. That's God. But I'm also sometimes praying to something outside of me, which I don't understand and I don't need to understand, but it's not a punitive, you know, God that, that is in charge of bad things in the world. So, so those two things happened, and the other thing that happened is that I seeked outside help to understand why, you know, my binging was so self-destructive and so aggressive toward my body and my soul that I needed help in understanding where is it coming from. And I got the outside help and I did understand where it's coming from, which didn't help stopping it. So then, you know, I started really working the program. And I've been now abstinent December 22nd, it will be 11 years. And my abstinence is not eating desserts, and not binging. Now, some people say, I wear my abstinence as a loose garment. I found out that when I wear my abstinence as a loose garment, my garments become tight. <laughs> so, so, wearing my abstinence as a loose garment doesn't work for me, again. But, I, am, I, am, I have a lot of freedom in my abstinence, and I'm praying for the willingness to tighten my abstinence even more. And there were things, so I'll talk about, so let me talk about the physical, emotional, and spiritual. Okay, so from the physical perspective, I didn't eat dessert in ten and a half years, and I didn't binge in ten and a half years. And in the last, I would say, six years, I didn't eat health bars. And there are still other things waiting behind the door to join that list, like crackers, and cheese and I have to be honest I don't binge but when I eat those things I can't eat it according to the serving size on the box or the bag (laughs) and also when I eat it it affects how I feel so I'm praying for the willingness to give those things up so that my garments will be loose not my abstinence so that's that's one thing physically the other physical thing is that I I never exercised in my life except for a brief period and about 10 years ago when I became abstinent I started 
praying for the willingness to move more. That was my prayer. And I don't know how it happened because it was like the, the, the desire to eat desserts was lifted. I started going to a pool and it, it's been now six years that I go to a swimming pool three to four times a week. Even when I'm on vacation, I look for a pool and I exercise before work. This is, if somebody said to me, prove that there is God, this is God. This is God because until age 58, I didn't exercise. And I prayed for the willingness to move, and I'm doing it now. Now, again, like with everything in my style, do I work out to the point that I can't breathe? No. Do I work out to the point that I can't have a conversation? No. So that's not a good thing. I need to work to exert myself more. And now, my second thing is praying for the willingness to work out harder. So again, you know, that's my path. That's it. I don't need to apologize for it. I'm grateful that I'm exercising. I can see the results in my body. But there is room for improvement in that area too. So that's physical. Spiritual, you know, since I was open to find God, I am now having a relationship with God. And I'm telling it now because usually there is a question. Can you talk about how God evolved from the beginning? To, so I'm, this is what I'm answering now. So when I came, I had no God, as I said. And then I became willing to start a relationship with that God. And I am reaching out to that God that is the little part inside my heart that knows better daily and many times during the day. Even in the pool, when I, when I do the exercise, there is a tree at the end of the pool. And there is a song in Hebrew that I will not sing. I don't know how to carry a tune. But the song is about um, God that is hiding behind the tree. And so when I swim, I go back and forth and I look at the tree and I say, God, help me be of service, help me have a good day, or, you know, I'm, pray- I'm talking to God. And you know what's funny? I said this same thing on a podcast eight years ago, and I got a call from a guy in England, that I think he got my number through John, in England, that said, I heard you talk, what song is it? <laughs> and I sent him the link of the song, and he said, oh my God, I'm praying now and I'm using that song. It was just amazing. But anyway, so I connect with that God that I don't understand many, many times a day. And sometimes I would sit, let's say, we, we went for my son's birthday to a restaurant that I loved a few weeks ago. And it was like, you know, our family should be on a sitcom. My husband and his partner, me and my partner, <laughs> my son and his fiancée, another friend and we are all sitting around and all my buttons are pushed because even though my relationship with my ex-husband now is good as it can be you know there are a lot of things that push my buttons there so I sat there and I just closed my eyes for a second and I said God help me make choices that are loving and kind to my body and my soul how long did it take? 10 seconds? nobody knew I was doing it But then the choices I made through the meal were better. There are times that I don't reach out to God before a meal. And then, you know, then it shows on my plate. 
So I'm doing it to the best of my ability. I'm also using now a lot of what, what is called loving kindness meditation, which means when I resent someone, I pray for them. And it's not pray for them, I say some statements that are wishing them the best. And I use it all the time. So what it means is that I resent all the time, which is not a good thing, but I at least use it. I have somebody at work that pushes all my buttons. And every time before, she, she usually emails me and says, can we meet? And before she comes into my office, I say to myself, may she be happy, may she be safe and protected from inner and outer harm. May she, I say those five sentences. And then she comes in, and usually the conversation goes better. So that's also a spiritual path. And when I say may, it's like praying for the universe to protect her. So that's another, you know, way of God. And I also occasionally, not so often now, I used to do it much more, and I should go back to it. But I used to write letters to God and then response from God to me. So if I was like in a bad place emotionally, I would ask myself first, how old is that part of you that is now hurting? And then I would write a letter to God in the name of that age, and then God would respond to that piece of me. And usually it's in Hebrew. I can't, those letters I write in Hebrew, and usually I write the letter to God with my left hand. Because my left hand is the non-dominant hand, and it's like it, it accesses, I guess, another part of the brain. Because what I write looks very childlike and very, you know, pure. So that's another way for me to connecting, you know, with God. Five. Okay. So so that's the spiritual and the emotional is a daily work. And I must be honest, what I'm struggling right now, not right now, in the last two years, you know, as I said at the beginning of my share, food regulated anxiety. So when the binging and the dessert were taken away, the anxiety started going up. And I struggle with anxiety and what I call catastrophizing, like thinking about the worst case scenario about things. So I'm dealing with that by, number one, asking God for help, seeking outside help, and doing whatever I can to help me because when I'm so anxious, I know that if I eat something, the anxiety will go away, but I don't do that. So I'm feeling the anxiety, I'm sitting with it, and it's not pleasant, and it's not always easy to deal with. So when I meditate, it helps, and I do other, you know, cognitive things to help me with it, and it helps, but I'm still struggling. So that's just something I wanted to, to say, that abstaining is wonderful, and, you know, in the last ten and a half years, I never once canceled a commitment. I never once didn't show up for something because I was hungover. I didn't throw up in my sleep because I binged so badly the night before. All those things didn't happen. However, the anxiety is now, you know, there and I'm dealing with it. So, thank you.
This is time for questions only. There is no sharing in this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Casey? Thank you Sorry, much. I said your um, name. As one among many of us who say you want you need an outside help to understand why you were eating, but it didn't get you abstinent. Uh, you also, if I heard you correctly, it sounded like that was an important prerequisite to getting abstinent. How do you think those things dance with each other? Understanding why you then getting abstinent. So, you know, I think that the beauty of this program is that as many people as are sitting in this room, as many shades of abstinence and shades of needs, and many people become abstinent and have a wonderful recovery without it. For me, I just, the level of self-abuse that I experienced in my binging didn't make sense because I would binge and be so hurt emotionally and physically like I was punishing myself for something and all my work I did four step many times I didn't get there and I needed I needed help professional help that was beyond the steps now because it's an outside issue I don't think I should talk about it more but it helped me then work the steps I worked there on those issues it's not like I just got an explanation and then worked the steps. I worked parallel in both. And I brought a lot of my step work there. And I read parts of my inventory there. So it worked together for me, but it's not a prerequisite. I know a wonderful, many wonderful people who had very solid, beautiful recovery who didn't need it. Yes. So what I found out is that I was sexually abused and I needed to work through it because between having a mom that was clinically depressed because of what she went through in the war and a father that was inappropriate, thank God I found bread and butter. <laughs> so, so I needed to work on that and process the things that I pushed away and it started surfacing. So yes, there was a lot of anger at myself and at the world. Adam? I shouldn't say names. Yes. Uh, how, how does the fellowship help you in your Yes, how did the fellowship help me as in reaching out? What, what do you mean? In like. Yeah, just, just working with others or, or you know, having a sponsor, be sponsoring that. Oh, so the fellowship. Yes, so the fellowship is like the core of my life. And like, you know, even my partner knows that if I get a program call and we are available. I go and I talk and it's never a question, it's never why do you need to take the call. Or, so the, the fellowship helped me on many levels. Number one, some of my closest friends in the world are from the program. Number two, I get a lot from the relationships that I have whether I give or whether I take. 
because it is a program, the disease is a disease of isolation and the recovery is within the context of being connected and the connection is what keeps me going and yes, I'm now in an in-between place in sponsorship but I know that I always work with someone and I always, for myself and I always give service to others and it's that connection that helps me. Now I also know that when I'm in a vulnerable place and vulnerable could, do to, could be two things, could be let's say I really want to eat because there is a potluck at my work and there is a lot of things other than desserts that theoretically I can eat when I reach out to a fellow and tell them I'm in this situation right now and I want to make a commitment to you that this is what I'm going to have and I'm going to text before and after I feel that that person holds my abstinence with me for the next two hours and it works magic am I always willing to do it? no whenever I do it I get magical help so that's another way of reaching out to the fellowship did it answer? yes okay yes Hensley so I believe that there is a parallel process between the sponsor and the sponsee if I was you know I am not a rigid I don't work the program rigidly and I don't sponsor rigidly I try to follow the sponsee's lead and the and I, the only thing that I, you know, that is important is that I work with people who have my disease. So if somebody is bulimic, I don't work with them because I can't relate to the, to the idea, you know, of throwing up because I haven't done it. So I work with people whose disease is binging. But uh, I, I think that I follow the lead of the sponsee, you know, I've worked with people over in different times that I was working a very rigorous program and they were working a rigorous program and then there are times in my life where I am now so busy that I go to two meetings a week and I do step 10 every night and I send my food but I'm not working the program as rigorously as I used to and I find that my sponsees it's a parallel thing we are less connected because I'm less available and then they work it less rigorously so that's what I mean parallel process and and as I said you know in the f almost 40 years that I've been in program I worked it in different ways but the one thing that is constant is that whenever I work with a person number one I don't judge I don't have expectations because I've been in, in, on, in and out of relapse for 27 years so I, I don't judge, I don't have expectations and I try to follow that person's lead and work with what they are capable of doing at a given time and it doesn't work for many people no, seriously, I sponsored people who said, you know, I need to talk to somebody every day and I can't do it right now. So, yes. Uh, thank you for your share. I, I, I have a um, uh, similar issue as you know, the Holocaust with my family too. And 
Have you been here the whole meeting? Yeah. Okay. No. Okay. No. I just was. No. I understand. So. Right. Right. So the question was, in light of my family history with the Holocaust, what were the tools that helped me work through it? So I think it's a combination of a lot of tools. I think that again, there wasn't one magical thing that helped, and it it still comes up now. I can still now find myself triggered by something and I realize where it's coming from. But basically, number one, the tool of meditation and conscious contact with God is a very important tool because it brings me to the moment. And no matter how much catastrophizing happens, when I meditate, at the moment, everything is good. Everything is good right now. Thank God I'm I'm healthy, my children are healthy, I have a wonderful relationship with the people in my life, with my body, with my, you know, I'm I'm in a good place. So prayer and meditation really helps me. Outside help helped me too. Um, Being abstinent and being of service takes me out of myself. And when I'm less focused on myself and giving, I'm less in that space. So it's a whole combination of things. It's not one thing, but if if you want, I'll give you my number and we can talk more. Don? Inatusa, yes. What's your concept of God today? The little part in my heart that knows better. Inatusa. Thank you. Like many of us who weren't born here and now live in the States, what is it like for you when you go back? And how do you stay out of judgment um, of a culture and a people and a place that you're no longer in compared to where we are now? In the context of this disease. Yes. Any context and this disease. Yes. So... So it's a good question. Being born somewhere else and when I go back to my culture of origin, how do I stay out of a place of judgment? So going back is always beautiful and hard. And, uh, and especially with my disease because I'm so attracted to the food of my culture that represent home that when I go back, it's even harder, you know, to stay abstinent. And what helped me, I was in Israel in April, is that every day I emailed my food because I felt like I need, you know, to do it in order to stay connected. Also, my sister lives in Israel and she... Okay, it's a podcast. So I was challenged when I went to Israel, and what I did is a lot of loving-kindness meditation, like daily, daily, for family members, because it was very, very challenging to be with people who are not in recovery, and who poo-poo the 12 steps, and think that it's, you know, it's like crazy 
to travel across the world and think about program and sit and email my food like what are you doing I mean you don't touch dessert so why are you it's like so it was you know loving kindness meditation was my main tool this trip and the other the beautiful thing is that my best friend who I met in OA is in recovery and I introduced her to my partner and we spent a lot of time together and it was all time that was about recovery so it was just beautiful and that was my balance like I would be with family members that triggered all my buttons and then I would schedule time with Judy that friend and then we would spend two hours and I would help me like you know get grounded and centered and in a place of gratitude Gratitude is another important tool. Yes. Thank you, Sita. Um, I've heard it throughout a sense of self acceptance. Will you expand on that a little bit? Yes, I think that that, that comes hand in hand with aging for me. When I came to program, you know, at 29, all I wanted was to be thin. And if you looked thin, you had what I want. And now, you know, not now, in the last, I would say, 20 years, what I want is to be in a healthy relationship with the people in my life, with my children, with my partner, with my community, with my body. And that's, that's right now, you know, what I'm striving for. It's not the thinness. So I accept my body. I feel that I have a functional body that serves me well. I'm grateful that for 68 years, it almost, it carried me and is doing well. And at the same time, I know my body is very fragile. You know, 15 years ago, I had a kidney disease that was triggered by binging. And even though I went to a nephrologist that said to me, it has nothing to do with binging, the doctor said, I, I've been dealing with this disease for many years and I have clients who are athletes and whatever. I said, okay. And then I recovered and I started binging again and I had a horrible binge. And I woke up the next morning, it was 18 years ago, and I see my ankles are like this. And I knew the kidneys are not functioning. So I went back to him. I didn't argue with him, but I never binged since. So I know my body is fragile and everybody, you know, some people maybe can carry a lot of, not, it's not about the weight, can binge and it doesn't affect them. I know that if I go back to binging the way I did, my body will not hold it. Because, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for my body today and, I, and I'm accepting where I am. And I even bought a pair of pants the other day and it was a size smaller. So it's happening, you know, when I'm honest with my food and trying to make choices, as I said, that are loving and kind to my body and to my soul, then, so I'm accepting, I'm not judging my body. I used to, I remember in my marriage, you know, I, I, I hated lying on the side because then my stomach, you know, he would feel it, I couldn't lie on, I mean, it was like, I was obsessed with my body. And now I just accept that that's my body and I'm very grateful for it. So, 
What does that look like to you? To us and go for our team in over the world for a while, not being absolutely necessary. And then us in 10 years, you're working for us. Can you elaborate on that? Yes. So <clears throat> the question is I've been in program for a long time, and I will correct it. I was working the program my way, but I was still in relapse and binging. And in the last ten and a half years, I haven't binged. The difference, what, what working the program means for me is writing regularly, whatever step you're on, uh, being willing to be reflective regularly about, do I need to make an amend? Did I, you know, about how I'm doing? It's committing my food and being, you know, accountable for what I eat and connecting with God. So at the beginning, I did those things, but I didn't have a God. And whenever I felt the tiniest discomfort, I ate. In the last 10 years, I, wor- I did the steps again twice, three times. But when I feel discomfort, I pray. When I feel discomfort, I call someone and I share why I'm uncomfortable. When I feel discomfort, I write. So I'm willing now to use the program to sit through the anxiety that I'm experiencing and the discomfort. So that's different. And the main thing that is different is that I'm willing to reach out to God, which for the first 27 years, when I felt a little on edge, I reached out to the food. And now I reach out to either the fellows or God or writing. So it, I used to work the program without those two elements. Does it answer? Yes. I think it's my time, right? Three. One more question, Michael. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm in a relationship with a healthy person that is not an addict and that is just loving and kind and accepting and respecting my program. And it's a beautiful thing. And I'm in a very wonderful relationship with my kids who are all adults. And it's just, you know, it's a really wonderful place to be. And I'm very grateful. And I think part of my catastrophizing is that something will happen to those people. And I just need to be grateful every day that for today, you know, I didn't have a good relationship with my parents. And my three kids are like begging me weekly to move and live where they live, which is in three different states. And, and I mean, and next weekend my daughter who is married said, I want to take three days off without her husband, just spend time with you for three days. It's like, I didn't want to spend time with my parents. And I didn't want my parents to meet my friends. And now I'm going to see her for three days. And she said, is it okay? It's Saturday. We have an open house. I want all my friends to come and meet you. I mean, so, so my catastrophizing is that I'll die on the plane on the way there. <laughs> so my therapist told me that statistically, my chances of dying on the plane on the way to Denver is one in, I think, 80 million. So most likely I'll be back after that week. <laughs> That's a terrible way to end the share. <laughs> Quickly, one more good. That's it. Uh, you mentioned gratitude. Oh, good. So I'd love to hear what your 
So I'm grateful that Adam called me this morning and said that he lost his speaker and I didn't offer to find the speaker. I said I'll be here. And I'm grateful that I didn't wake up with a hangover because I binged last night and that I could come in my slumpy clothes and be honest and tell my truth. And I'm grateful for my health, for my body and for the program. That's a good way to end.